Hey everyone, Michael Lunker here with another episode of Let's Innovate, a BC Science Fair Foundation podcast where we uncover the passion behind great ideas. And in this season, we're going to be talking to past participants in science fairs to get their perspective on their experience and find out where their passions lie. And today, I'm really excited to be joined by Laurel Stuthers. Hey, Laurel. Hey, how's it going? I'm doing really great. I'm really excited to hear about your science fair experience. You participated in science fairs when you were in high school. You've gone through university. You're now out there in the world using science, using all the things you learned. So I'm super excited to learn about your story. Let's go back to when you were in science fairs. What was that like for you? Yeah, uh, well, absolutely. Science fair was fantastic. It uh, was really a hallmark experience of um, my high school experience. I have really fond memories of it. What kind of projects did you embark on? Yeah, so I had one main project and it it came in two parts. So in grade 11, I did part one, um, followed by part two in grade 12. And it was called Self-Assembly by Lateral Capillary Forces. Um, And it was it was really fun to do kind of in the the physics category at the time. And the idea was if you had a bunch of objects floating on water, so in in a little pool of water, could you get those objects to self-assemble into kind of like a raft-like shape or or a certain pattern um, that was preordained? So where was the inspiration for this? I can hear some biology connections in there. You say physics is your realm, but where did the water and biology come into this? Right. Yeah. You know, it was um, certainly a physics-based project, but interestingly, um, you know, I tried really, really hard to come up uh, with a good idea. And at the time, I think it was the BBC uh, Planet Earth that was just having come out. And I was really looking to biology for inspiration. Like what kind of things does nature do really well um, and very easily that we have a hard time um, doing ourselves? And um, so I was really pursuing that kind of biology path um, with a a physics perspective, um, of course. And I stumbled upon a demo of, um, I think it was like uh, Cheerios in milk. So if you pour some cereal into a a bowl full of milk, um, you can notice that the Cheerios, they kind of... um, kind of assemble themselves into little clumps. And that's actually caused by the surface tension of the milk. And I, I saw this and it, it was a demo used to describe surface tension. And I thought, hey, like, what if you could control that? Like, what if you could steer the Cheerios? And that's kind of <laughs> where it went from there. Interesting. So if you were to give a quick synopsis of how that actually worked, did it? <laughs> were you able to devise a method of creating these objects, assembling themselves? Yeah, so, you know, I I did this in my parents' basement. Um, The materials I used were some nuts and bolts from an old Meccano set, which was a toy back then, and my mom's lasagna pan. So I filled the lasagna pan with water, and I was floating these, like, little nuts and bolts in the water. Um, And I did get them to self-assemble into these little kind of, like, hexagonal shapes, by coating the sides of the nuts with um, different hydrophobic and hydrophilic um, kind of materials, just things that I got from an auto body shop. Um, And just by changing the meniscus um, where the water kind of creeps up the side of the block or, or kind of like curves away from it. Yeah. I was, I was actually able to get these um, 
little floating nuts to kind of rotate themselves into little patterns. And it was it was pretty simple. And I had some um, very lofty uh, future plans, you know, in the um, future work section of the science fair project related to uh, nanotechnology, which we didn't quite get there. It's, it just stayed in the lasagna pan, but um, it did work in the end. Did you ever give the lasagna pan back to mom? Yes, I did. <laughs> Did it make some good lasagna in the future after your science fair projects? Exactly. Yeah, it was a really multi-purpose dish, (laughs) 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 award-winning. Wonderful. So you got to finals with this project. How well did it do once you got there? I was fortunate enough in 2009 and 2010 to get to the Canada-wide science fair. Um, So I went to Winnipeg the first year, I think, and then the next year was Peterborough, Ontario. And um, the first year I got an honorable mention and the second year I went home with a silver medal. So I was, I was really proud with, with that result. Um, It meant a lot to me. Nice. Now I'm really curious because you combined physics and biology here with your science fair projects. You then went on to pursue physics in university, but then you also did some very different things from those science related fields and you got into art and you started to combine this knowledge that you had accumulated through the science, the scientific method, learning about art history. Tell us about how art and science fuse together for you. Yeah, certainly. You know, like the thing that I I really practiced while doing science fair was the scientific method. Um, So how can you form a hypothesis and and pursue it and come up with um, a, a satisfactory result in the end to answer your questions? Um, and in practicing that, I realized, especially with um, the really simple materials that I had been using for my science fair project, I realized that you could apply that scientific method to many different areas in life. You don't need to be necessarily in a really high-tech lab or, or have a lot of resources, though it, it certainly helps. Um, but you can start applying the scientific method to anything. And I, I did go on to do... Um, uh, major in physics at McGill back east, which was great. Um, but I, I kind of stumbled into an elective class uh, for art history. And it, it wasn't really by plan, <laughs> but I ended up really, really enjoying it because I I just took this backbone of the scientific method that I had really practiced in science fair and, and of course used in, in my physics labs and homework. And I applied it to art history, which was kind of unconventional, um, but it, it led to some really, really interesting places because um, art history is really looking at paintings from maybe the present or, or often the past, I guess that's the historical element. And it's trying to use the painting as a way to understand what was going on in the past in society. Why did the artists use the pigment that they did? Or, or why did they paint the scene a certain way that they did? And what I guess the connection to me was between art history and science was that these artists from, say, the the 18th or 19th century were really exploring science in the medium of art. So you had um, people who were, say, learning about a new type of bug for the first time, and they had to draw it in a in a scientific diagram. But the artists had to do it authentically and, and precisely Um, because we didn't have cameras necessarily um, or any other way to document it. So there was was a big conversation going on in that time between 
scientists and artists. And um, if you, I guess, take that knowledge from science fair and and the experimenting um, that I got to practice back then and, and kind of like use it to understand what these artists were going through in, in making this art, um, there's, there's a really interesting connection there. Yeah, interesting. You say that you stumbled into this class. It wasn't the plan to go and do a minor in art history. I'm wondering, since you took the scientific method into art history, have you been able to bring any of that art history and that knowledge of art into the science that you do now? Oh, absolutely. So after my undergrad, I continued on a really um, image-based or visual-based type of science. So I ended up doing a master's in medical physics, focusing on imaging equipment. So um, if you've heard of MRI scans or CT scans or or any sort of x-ray, all of these systems are being designed and, and essentially run in the hospital by a team of physicists. Um, so the idea there is if you take an image, it's kind of like a a qualitative thing. How do you get quantitative information out of it? So if you take a picture of, um, someone's skeleton using an X-ray, how do you, you end up using that to extract quantitative information to then diagnose the patient, um, with their illness? And, um, I suppose after working in medical physics for a while, um, ended up making a strange transition uh, into the mining industry, um, actually, where they use very similar equipment um, to take pictures of rocks. (laughs) Oh, that's really interesting. Well, before we get into the mining part of the story, let's talk about this medical imaging just for a second. Mm -hmm. Is this for the doctors or is it for the patients to understand what's going on inside their bodies? For the doctors and perhaps also for certain algorithms that um, could look at the image and try and figure out, okay, well, we see we see this enlarged organ or we see a break in the bone here. And what does this mean for our patient's diagnosis? Right. Okay. So how is this now translated into the mining world? Well, I think um, a broken bone is a great example. So if you take an x-ray of, uh, of someone's arm and it's broken, you can, you can see the break in the x-ray. And very similarly, in, um, in the mining industry, there's a big interest in trying to find fractures in the earth. So if you were to take, um, it's called a drill core sample. So imagine about a, a one to two inch diameter cylinder um, deep into the earth, an entire tube, maybe a kilometer deep, like very seriously deep. If you take that out of the earth, where are the breaks in that sample? Um, if you can find the breaks, you can then extrapolate um, where the breaks are in the earth. And then if you make a mine, you can know where to reinforce um, the mine so that there aren't any slides. Um, so I guess in that sense, I've been able to combine some of these ideas from medical imaging, so say finding a broken bone, um, to finding breaks in, in rock, which happens to look very similar. <laughs> oh, wow, that's really interesting. So is that specifically what you do with the mining company? Are you actually working with the image processing or are you doing other things as well? Yeah, exactly. So I'm currently working for a company called CoreScan, and they focus on doing hyperspectral imagery of rock. Um, So they're taking high-tech images of rock samples and using it um, to do infrared spectroscopy to figure out what minerals are present. 
um, but they also do a very high resolution RGB photography and um, a, a topographic image of the core itself so that um, you can investigate the different colors and textures of the rock. And that's probably more of my domain. So I, I essentially get um, thousands of images of rocks and it's my job to write the software to understand them. Oh, that's really cool. I'm not sure if you're aware or not, Laura, but next month there is a telescope that's going to be going up into space that is specifically going to be doing infrared spectroscopy. That's the James Webb Space Telescope. And you're kind of doing that with rocks. That's really cool. Oh, absolutely. And and it's a, a great point as well, because um, with my physics background, um, I'm surrounded by geologists all day long, but there's actually a lot of crossover between the fields. And uh, I'd say that's probably, um, a, I suppose, a summary of my, uh, my perspective in general, <laughs> a very multidisciplinary perspective of combining uh, different disciplines um, to solve problems. Oh, wow. That's really exciting. Well, we're almost at the end here, Laurel. Are you ready for some rapid fire questions? Yeah, absolutely. All right. Let's start off with ideation. How do you come up with ideas? Well, day day in and day out, I am a problem solver. And when I get a problem, the first thing I ask myself is, what skills do I have or what tools do I have to solve this problem? And then the second thing I ask myself once I've come up with something that could help solve the problem, I I come up with a skill that I could learn to solve it better. And I find that by combining those two things, I'm always learning and and always solving problems pretty, pretty effectively. Okay, so work with what you got and then find other skills to help problem solve is what you're saying. Yes. Exactly. All right. What piece of media, maybe a book, movie, or video game, has had the most influence on you? Oh, well, I'm I'm going to have to go back to my, my art history past um, and say that there's a, a very famous painting called Heart of the Andes that, that has really inspired me. Um, it's absolutely massive. It's an oil painting that's about three meters wide. So when you see it on the wall, it's it's spectacular. And that's that's exactly what it was was painted to be like a spectacle. Um, that's been really inspirational to me. Okay, well, we're going to have to put that into the show notes so that everyone can go and have a look at this painting and get a picture in their mind and know exactly what you're talking about. Excellent. Let's finish off with future science fair participants. Do you have any advice for them? Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, um, as I said before, I my advice would be to uh, hone in on the scientific method. That's really the backbone to problem solving. And once you're working on that, you know you've done it right. If you can sit back at every moment um, and be satisfied with your result. So if you can convince yourself that your result is convincing, (laughs) then you've done the scientific method right. So keep at it. Great advice, Laurel. And you know, we had a full workshop on the scientific method that I hosted that's on our website, sciencefairs.ca. You can find out all the information that we have there about science fairs and our workshops there. Laurel, thank you so much for joining us on Let's Innovate. If people want to learn more about you uh, or your company, where should people go? Well, you could email me at laurel.stuthers at gmail.com. I'd be happy to answer any questions. 
Wonderful. And you can reach out to us. We're on social media at Youth Innovation Showcase on Twitter and Instagram. I'm on there as well. Michael John Unger on Instagram. Michael J. Unger on Twitter. That's the end of this episode. Until next time, let's innovate. Let's innovate.